Welcome to the latest edition of NPM's podcast. I'm John Burke, Managing Editor of New Project Media. Uh, joining me today is uh, Beth Waters, uh, Senior Managing Director for the Power Vertical for MUFG America's Project Finance Team. Uh, Beth, welcome to the to today's program. Thank you, John. And I'll have to say this is my first podcast, so I'm honored that you've invited me to join today. And we're honored to have you. Um, so today we're going to talk about project finance trends in 2023. Uh, given everything that's gone on in today's markets in 2022, I feel like this theme could turn into maybe a six-part anthology. But for one show, um, let us take our best shot. Uh, Beth, the last few months have really been uh, seeped in uh, fears about inflation and its effect on uh, interest rates. Uh, just at a broader view to start this off, uh, how is inflation? How has inflation impacted project finance so far and uh, into the future? Okay, um, project finance. The impact on the project finance sector with inflation. Um, I'd say rather than affecting heavily on the lenders, um, it is affecting the projects and the developers. So with the increase in inflation, um, you have increase in costs and, you know, costs of buying the products, the supplies for building these projects. And you also have um, increase in cost uh, financing, right? Because our base rate in all the deals is, is based on when inflation goes up, when the Federal Reserve increases rates, the base rates go up. So uh, this will affect the developer and their returns on the project. And, and so they have to work very hard to keep the cost down, to make sure that they hurdle to meet the returns they need in order to continue with the projects. And so one of the things that has stood out uh, this year, very surprisingly, is that um, these developers have gone back to the um, off takers that they've negotiated PPAs with in many cases and had to renegotiate the pricing because the deals were not working for them anymore. And in the past, that was a no-no. You did not want to go back to the off taker and renegotiate a PPA because they'd want something in exchange that maybe wasn't workable for the developer. Um, however, what you're seeing these days is the um, off takers are very willing to reopen the PPA pricing negotiations because they see what the issues are. And it is really important for them to get their projects moving and get the offtake. And I think they're concerned that if they don't renegotiate with the current developer they have a contract with, that the price pricing is just going to increase even more by the time they choose another developer. So they're happy to try to make it work for both themselves and the developer. So on the project finance side of it, we as lenders, um, it's sort of like a pass-through. I mean, what we're dealing with more on our side is the cost of funds, and that, again, is affecting the cost for the developer. But the inflation itself does not hurt the lender, in my view. Okay, so taking it from the developer's point of view, um, how does it impact their own ability to obtain project finance? Well, what it is, is they are seeing increase in cost, right? So the supply chain issues or labor, um, for instance, they will get a contract with EPC contractors to build the projects for them. And in the past, you used to see a turnkey, which meant everything was locked in up front. Um, now, EPC contractors will not give a turnkey and they will say that, for instance, labor, there is no cap on the cost of labor. So the developer has to deal with that and they have to build it, these 
cost into their model and make sure again that they get the return that they need so everybody needs to get their return so developer has a return hurdle for making a project worthwhile to pursue and if say if it doesn't hurdle anymore they could put pencils down and not move ahead with the project so that's not what you want to happen right so um, they have to be very conscious of all the costs involved. And um, I could reference a deal that happened this year. Um, it wasn't renewable, but in the banker world, it doesn't matter whether it was renewable or not. It was a project finance transaction. And because of all the increase in costs that we're seeing, because of inflation, supply chain issues, um, this one developer could not move ahead with their project. The banks were all ready to go, ready to sign. They got their credit approvals. Um, but the client developer um, couldn't move ahead. And you don't want to see that happen all the time and effort that's put into these projects. So everybody tries to work together to, to, make, it, to make it happen. Okay. Um, with the costs being where they are, um, where do you see that though, when the, with the projects that start getting executed, does the, the bank debt, the size of the bank debt just get bigger? Um, does it require further equity? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess it's a combination. So I'm thinking about one mega project that's in excess. It's between five and ten billion dollars. And it was one figure about a year ago, which they thought the total cost was going to be. And then it went the cost went up about a billion dollars over the year because uh -huh. of the inflation costs, you know, the, the supply chain issues, labor, et cetera, et cetera. So it does require increased in debt and also increase in equity. So that developer had to make sure that this project still worked for them with all those increase in costs. So they, they typically will build in a cushion, right? And depending upon what point in the economy that they're at, that cushion might have to be bigger. So this client was prepared to still move ahead um, despite that significant increase in costs. Okay. So the Inflation Reduction, Reduction Act of 2022, which um, will certainly have implications for 2023 and much longer than that, um, uh, introduced the long runway to ITC and PTC tax credits of uh, 10 years, um, introduced a and amended, I should say, a slew of tax credits for other clean energy industries. Um, and as far as tax equity was concerned, um, allowed for the transferability of tax credits. Uh, there was some expectation that uh, developers would have the option of direct pay, um, but that was limited to certain tax exempt entities such as um, Native American uh, tribes and other tax exempt entities, if you will. Um, it was thought, though, that transferability would have a very large impact uh, on the tax equity space itself because it would allow for a, a deeper audience of tax equity investors. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Beth, on your end about uh, the impact that transferability might have uh, on the space and how, how ultimately it might affect uh, the capital stack for these deals. Sure. Um, I think uh, us bankers in the project finance world think it will have a positive effect. It will create more liquidity, which is you know what, what we've been dealing with um, for many years um, is that there are limited parties who can do tax equity. So it's quite expensive in the capital stack. And I think you know this was kind of out of 
people didn't expect this in the legislation. We were looking for the direct pay and that would have been wonderful, but unfortunately that wasn't part of the package and, and instead they introduced this idea of transferability. Um, right now, lenders are not in a position to monetize this new concept or structure that's coming into play. Um, the IRS has to provide guidelines and uh, that takes some time. And the view is that maybe we won't know anything till say June of uh, 2023 on that front. Uh, but you have certain clients who are really interested in, in going down that path and they have projects that are coming to market now. So I have one client um, who approached us right after the legislation passed and asked if we would monetize for them. And unfortunately, we had to advise that we're not in a position to do that until the, the um, IRS guidelines come out. And then we work internally and with counsel to come up with the structure. And what that structure might be is where uh, right now, for instance, with tax equity, we, we give 98, 98 and a half cents on the dollar. We monetize that as a tax equity bridge loan. But back in the day, like say if we go back six, seven years ago, it might have been say 92, 93% advance. And over time, lenders have become more comfortable with it. And that's why, and, and being competitive with one another, why you're seeing it now at the 98 and a half cents or 98 cents on the dollar. Um, with this transferability, once the guidelines are out, I'm quite sure and other bankers that I know in the business agree that it will be heavily discounted, like just like the early days of tax equity. So maybe it will be 90 to 92 cents on the dollar. But again, we don't know that number and until we understand how it all works. Um, but in the interim, um, as the example with this one client, um, they want to monetize. Now they want the flexibility, the optionality of choosing between tax equity and this transferable tax credits. So um, what they've gone and done is uh, reached out to one of the insurance companies and there's a product that they're putting together um, where they will wrap this risk and it will be a collateral for the lenders. And that way they're taking the risk of transferability. And if there is no transferability, they will pay out and they will invest in the money. The proceeds will come into the deal. So we're taking the risk of the insurance company. But we have to make sure that this structure is the type of structure that we want. We don't want with all these um, outs um, of the uh, insurance company that could prevent them from, they call them exclusions, from making their payments. So we just want a very clean structure that if um, the tax equity money doesn't come in, they immediately will pay upon demand. Um, so that's still to be seen. And I think there's a lot of interest by insurance companies right now in looking to provide a product like that. But Nothing has happened yet. You've not seen any deal um, that's used that type of project product. And um, again, we'll see how it works. But it's a, it's a bridging until we know where the guidelines come out. Yeah, sure. Um, and in terms of the capital stack, I guess that should be clear on um, you know just the tax credits in general. Um, much has been written about about you know thirty percent plus the adders. Um, once certain things are done, like domestic content thresholds and energy communities that I can imagine, obviously, if certain projects were to hit those goals in a couple of years, that it would have a pretty dramatic impact on um, the size of the bank debt versus the size of the tax equity in some of these deals. Are you guys preparing for that at this point? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll take it as it comes. 
you know, yeah. I, I, even when people said, oh, what went before this, this legislation passed? Oh, gosh, there's not going to be any more tax equity. And right, right. I upset about that because it's quite expensive, right? And, and it's developers were forced to to do that, to monetize mm -hmm. it for them because they didn't have their own tax capacity. So if that had happened, say if tax credits went away, banks would just provide more debt. So if there's a situation where somebody, as you gave an example, you know, it, like energy storage, for instance, they have a 30 percent ITC, but it could go up to 50 percent if, if they met certain conditions. So it just mean less debt. Um, but it doesn't concern us because there's so many deals out there. There's not a, enough lending. I think there's a concern now that there's not maybe not as much money available for everybody, right? So people are going to be competing for lenders' money and attention. And who, you know, we're going to go for the low-hanging fruit, meaning the easier deals and not the more complex and more straightforward and the bigger bang for our buck. So um, that's super important that developers realize how much competition's out there and they can't try to, for instance, be overly aggressive because lenders will then take their business and, and give money to other projects that are not as aggressive and the returns are better. Uh, well, that leads me to my next question about other industries. Um, going back to what I said earlier about the IRA uh, 2022, um, you know, having uh, different tax credits. Uh, again, some of these could be expansion rather than additions, but obviously the what the big addition is the standalone storage tax credit. But um, then you have tax credits for um, different types of um, RNG and uh, biogas, uh, you know, as a, you know, byproduct of it, uh, carbon capture, green hydrogen, mm -hmm. um, and also domestic manufacturing uh, incentives as well to take it into the supply chain. There's a lot there, um, you know, from a banking perspective, has it sort of opened up your eyes about other industries you might support more in the coming years versus previously? Oh, sure. And I would say not necessarily a different industry. We still view it as renewable type products, sure. but just different different type like solar versus wind, right? Or energy storage versus other. So energy storage was building up for some time. I mean, we did what we call a white paper. I had uh, my team did this white paper, I think seven years ago when, when, when energy storage was coming out to educate our credit and management folks to be ready for the deals. Um, so similarly, now you're seeing a new white paper being done on energy stores because of this legislation. There's, this is a gangbusters of uh, deals coming out, but there's, for instance, 100% merchant, and they want banks to finance that. And um, banks have to get comfortable. I don't know. You know, some banks might do 100% merchant. Our bank might do quasi-merchant, but we're exploring it to see how we could get comfortable. And it depends upon the markets and the specifics of that particular project in that market. Clean hydrogen, um, there's a small deal that our bank has already done this year before the passing of the IRA. So there's, we're open to look at all these. Carbon capture, you know, I, I think um, we'll cautiously look at that and make sure, um, you know, we have the whole thing um, with uh, non-carbon financing. Uh, so we have to make sure it follows our guidelines as an institution. Um, so, um, again, open-minded to look at all these different things, renewable natural gas, and um, it will just be more pieces to the pie. You know, the bigger bigger pieces will exist for certain types, wind, solar, energy storage, but then you'll start seeing the addition 
of these other types of financing. So again, we're very excited about the legislation passing and all these new opportunities and, and this industry, renewable sector is going to just go for on and on for many years. And I don't think we touched on ESG. So even without the IRA legislation, um, the ESG environmental social governance, everybody in the business, whether you're um, a bank, a developer, a, a pension fund, investor, um, off takers, everybody wants to be quote unquote green and be able to point to how they're following ESG because they have to report it in their um, financial reports, um, you know, financial results and all. So uh, that is really the engine behind a lot of this, this growth before the IRA came through. So it's super duper important and it's a global thing. It's not just the United States, all around the world that everybody wants to be supportive and demonstrate that there are ESG um, compliant, for lack of a better word. Okay. Um, and I guess just to close it off, I mean, what kind of uh, just generally industry trends do you expect to see coming in, in 2023? What are going to be some of the dominant themes out there? Um, one is competition for dollars, which I touched on a few moments ago. Uh, and, you know, in the past, uh, developers used to be able to be very aggressive. And I, I talk about the, um, the pendulum swinging. Right. And it's the pendulum has been swinging in the direction of the developers and their benefit. And, and banks have been reactive and being super competitive and aggressive and more and more aggressive every year. Um, now the pendulum is swinging the other way where lenders have more say. You're seeing um, pricing go up, uh, structures being tightened. Um, so people are competing for dollars and they can't. Um, they have to be very careful how they approach the market because it's not just their deal that's there. The other thing is just so many, as we touched on, um, of these other, you know, green hydrogen, uh, renewable natural gas, um, energy storage, and a lot of this standalone. We have so many um, inquiries, inward inquiries to um, pitch for financing of energy storage projects on a standalone basis. So it's incredible how quickly it's ramped up with the passage that now, because in the past, just to remind the listeners, um, energy storage did not get the credits unless they were attached to a solar project. So now by having, um, getting the ITC 30%, that could even go up to 50% if they meet certain requirements, it is huge. And it's really going to help expand and grow this business and bring it, you know, make the economies of scale, just like you saw with solar and wind. And the whole purpose of having these tax incentives is to help build the business to eventually that there can be competitive without these tax incentives. But in the meantime, tax incentives help them be competitive with all the other types of um, power that are out there. But it's incentivizing people to build these sort of projects and and you know our, our own government wants to be green not so it's not just all the corporations and developers and banks etc it's our our country our nation that that wants this to uh, reduce our carbon re reliance great well that's all the time we have um so beth thank you so much for joining the program today and please tune in next time okay thank you so much and thank you everybody in the audience